Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I got a good one for you today. I am talking to Dr. Simone Yerios about her recent article on the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on spay-neuter surgeries and on pet overpopulation. I was really kind of, I was I was shocked by the impact of this. It totally makes sense that we would see uh, shelters and spay-neuter facilities shut down for the pandemic, and then there'd be uh, those animals who didn't get spayed or neutered. I guess my thought had always been that they would be reabsorbed, um, but that has not been the case. And now we're seeing not just the pets that didn't get done during the pandemic, we're seeing the progeny, the litters from the pets that didn't get done uh, during the pandemic. And it is, um, it's, it's shocking. It is, is a fascinating and unsettling reality in our profession. So I was really uh, interested to dig in with Simone on this and talk about it. Guys, uh, a lot of food for thought here. I hope it's, uh, I hope it's interesting to you. I definitely enjoyed the conversation. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Simone Yerios. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Andy. Oh, it's my it's my pleasure to have you here. You are, for those who don't know you, uh, you are an uh, a clinical assistant professor in shelter medicine at the University of Florida. I uh, I did not have the pleasure of having you as uh, as my shelter professor at University of Florida. Although I took that rotation multiple times because I loved it. I, I really really loved it. And so I did not get to have you as a professor. I became aware of you when I saw a publication you were first author on that came out. I'll put a link down in the show notes. But basically, you were talking about um, a significant setback to our um, to our goals of of population control for for stray pets due to COVID pandemic. And so I wanted to understand that math and kind of what that looks like today with you. And so if we could start off. Can you paint me a picture of kind of what uh, spay neuter efforts look like before the pandemic? How were we doing? Yeah, how, how? Yeah, how were we doing before the pandemic? What was that like? And then, and then we'll talk about how the pandemic changed things. Okay, so uh, we've been doing a very good job, animal welfare plus shelter veterinarians, for almost fifty years. That we've been working to reduce or to control pet overpopulation, uh, and the most thing that we are we have been able to do is pay neuter so we start doing a good program and that ultimately reduce number of animals that have been euthanized in shelters so we've been doing a very good number all over us and our study since we have covid um, pandemic that it blocked almost no essential services for almost four to five months, we okay. want to see what happened with spay-neuter programs since they were considered as no essential. So the, mainly our goal to this paper was to show what happened with spay-neuter surgery during this pandemic, so 2020 and 2021. And we compare with 2019, that was a normal uh, year, a, a regular year. Okay. So when you start off, uh, so you looked at 2019 numbers to get started and then, and then non-essential services shut down. And then, and then you said what about basically like five months of, of really, of having a, a significant reduction in the services we were able to offer, correct? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So, so tell me, let's let's talk about point of impact. So, yeah, walk walk me through what that meant. Like, how do you how do you measure that? How do we how do we try to get our head around one what you saw in your survey, but then how that extrapolates out across across the U.S. Um, help help me understand the magnitude of, of what we're talking about. So, we use a, a software based program that is um, made basically for high volume uh, spay neuter clinics. And in their software, uh, they, 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 we were able to use 400 clinics that normally, uh, use this program as their, uh, regular clinics program. Okay. So from this 400, we had to use the clinics that were in service for 2019, 2020, and 2021. So our numbers represent around 212 clinics. Um, and with that, we saw for 2020, a decrease in 13% of surgeries, the total number of surgeries. And 2021, we saw a still 3% less surgery when we compare with 2019, the baseline year. So significant deep dip in 2020. What does that, what does that translate to as, as far as, so, so two questions in my mind at the same time. When we decrease 13%, what does that look like in those clinics? And then what does that look like when we extrapolate out? So you're only, you're talking about 212 clinics, which is a lot of clinics, but it's a drop in the bucket compared to the number of, of total clinics out there that are doing spay and neuter. So help, help me understand that. So what does that look like as far as in the, in these, in these clinics, a 13% reduction? G- give me a number. What, what does that look like? And then help me extrapolate this. How big is that nationally? So we, it's, it's very, so numbers kind of, uh, we, extrapolate for the national about 2.7 million of space surgery, uh, spay neuter surgeries for the whole um, deficit that we might okay. have. So we got our numbers will got around 198,000 fewer surgeries and in 2020, in 2020, in 2020. So that's, that's the, and basically we are still low in 2021, but basically we're the month on uh, March until June, July that we can see a very big drop in surgeries because we weren't allowed to perform surgery. Okay. Has there been, um, has there been an overcompensation, or not an overcompensation, but has there been a compensation since we come back or or is there, so if we were, you know, down, down 3% in 2021, are, are we, are we at where we were in 2019? Are we over? Cause if you said we're 20% more than we were in 2019 now, I would say, well, maybe is that, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we're catching back up. Well, h- help me think about that. So as we look forward into where we are today, extrapolate that out. Is, is there a sense that we're still in deficit? Do you feel like we've returned to 2019 levels? Are we exceeding 2019 levels to help make up for missed opportunities at that time? What's your, what's your optimism level like? I I believe we are at the same kind of level of 2019, but we still have this big gap that I don't know how we are going to fill that up. Um, so because now we have shortage of veterinarians and shortage of vet technicians, so everybody's over uh, crowded. It's hard to to book. Uh, Spaniard surgery in a low cost clinic, and what we've been at the shelters, we are also at this point, we are overcrowded. So what we saw this past year is that we are looking at many 
leaders of puppies that were we weren't being able to see it before COVID. So we have many puppies entering the shelter. No, the rescues are also overcrowded, so nobody's pulling them. Uh, we also saw uh, overcrowded shelters because people start to work back and they are bringing animals back to shelters. And unfortunately, we are worried that shelters are going to start euthanizing for space again, which is yeah. very unfortunate. unfortunate. Yeah. So uh. we still, I believe we are at the same level at sh- surgeries at this point. But for us to go up to almost 16%, because we have 13 in 2020 and 3% less in 2021. So we need to over, um, overlap that. So we need to pay more attention and try to increase fun- fundings and, and resources so the clinics can actually try to catch up with all the work we have been doing for the past almost 50 years. Well, you know, as I think about this, if if we have a, a glut of pets from 2020 that would have been spayed or neutered and are not, those pets are now two years old, which is probably optimal, maximal breeding output levels mm-hmm. uh, that we're going to see from those pets. And so what you're saying is, do you, you feel like the progeny of those pets that were missed are are hitting? So it's not just we didn't neuter a cat two years ago. And so now there's an unneutered cat out there. It's like, oh no, we didn't neuter a cat. And now we're getting two to three litters per year yes. from this cat, which is exponentially impacting our capacity. Talk, talk to me a little bit about catching up because this is this is a thing that I'm really interested <laughs> in is labor shortage, uh, the shortage of veterinarian, things like that. What are the levers that we pull to try to get out of this program? And you're, you're a professor uh, you know, of shelter medicine. So... Um, is this, is this, is there, are there efficiencies that we see coming in shelter medicine or that we could be using in shelter medicine? How, how do we, how do we get out of this hole, Simone? That's a great question. And I don't know if I can have a solution with that, but I think the best way for us to, to, to work with. So at University of Florida, we are trying to make our students to get out of school ready for uh, being able to work in a high volume surgery. Uh, situation. So we kind of open another clerkship. So we have now we have three shelter medicines clerk, clerkship at the University of Florida that I can, that they used to get out of the school with one or two space per student. And mm-hmm. after the one of two of these clerkships that they are mandatory now, um, they are able to be done at least 25 to 30 surgeries during two weeks. So we are trying to capacitate more students so they feel ready when they get out of the school so they can join a shelter or a non-profit organization and they, they are able to help. Um, however, I think we need more grants and money to work with um, numbers for for sterilization animals uh, for for dogs and cats to be spayed and neutered so we can try to catch up with that hey everybody just want to jump in real quick and give you a heads up to the april uncharted veterinary conference is coming at you this is the flag the flagship the granddaddy the mama of them all this is our original conference it is here in my hometown greenville south carolina guys this is a communication business strategy conference 
We are doing all internal communication and strategy this year. It's about talking to your team, getting them on the same page, making sure messages don't get dropped, making sure we're communicating well, we're treating each other well, making sure that we are on the same page and not repeating work or having people stand around and not know what to do with themselves. That's what this conference is all about. Guys, this is a peer conference. We do our choose your own adventure sessions. We make up about 40% of the, uh, of the, of the agenda of the conference here on the spot with our attendees. So we can make sure we're doing what they want to do. It is really a magical experience. If you've never been to an uncharted conference, this is a great one to jump into. I'll put a link in the show notes, get registered, come to Greenville. I'll see you in person. Guys, let's get back into this episode. When, when you think about the future of shelter medicine, do you see it at, so it, traditionally, you know, when we talked about spay and neuter efforts, a lot of that weight was carried by general practitioners and they would do spays and neuters and things like that. And, and I've, I've really kind of fallen in love with this idea that the future is fragmentation, meaning there's going to be a lot of different ways of practicing medicine and they're just, they're just different. And do you see, I guess my, coming around to my question, <laughs> do you see, uh, do you see spay and neuter surgeries, things like that? being uh standing alone more or do you continue to see them being integrated into types of wellness practice general practice things like that when when you're when you're training students to talking about the future of shelter what what does that look like in your eyes so i think everybody needs to work together i don't want to say okay spain other needs to be done only by shelter veterinarians or high volume clinics i think it's very important for general practitioner also to increase the number of surgeries that they um, can also help to reduce the number of unwanted pets. And I know there are many of a discussion about aging and when should I spay my animals. And this is very important for general practitioners to, okay, can we spay this animal sooner than later because of, of, tumors or anything that is happening because this is a big issue at this point but i think it's it's important for us to work together because you never know when your pet's going to end or what's going to happen with you if you didn't spay your pet and then you something happened in your life and your animal and in the shelter or somewhere else and start having litters so i think it's very important for us to work with general practitioners together to try to spay and neuter everything that's not supposed to be <laughs> reproducing. Yeah. So if it's not, the goal is not to have um, leaders, so it's better to get it done. Um, and I don't know the other part of her question, was it? <laughs> Sorry. Oh. I think I lost in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was just sort of thinking about um, the, the, how do you see shelter medicine being practiced sort of going forward? Is it, is it, is it the low cost, high volume, practices is the integration across different types of practices I, I i think i think you answered it i think you answered it pretty well <laughs> and also increasing the number of low cost um uh, low cost clinics that's very important because general practitioners also need i i think they they should work with animals helping them in different ways so if i have a chronic condition or if i have any other issues, that's the way they can help more than just doing um, other simple <laughs> procedures. Yeah. So I think we have to work all together to get almost all the animals that we don't want them to reproduce. And then we can work, they can work more with other disease that 
affect pets. I also, I also I always tell my students because during the clerkship, my students always, I have like 20% or less that wants to go uh, to shelter medicine, to work with shelter medicine after they graduate. But I tell them that's very important for them, not only this surgical experience, but it's very important for them to learn what happened in a shelter because you probably see an animal that was adopted from a shelter or rescue. So you can see how things are done differently. And you, instead of being against the shelter veterinarian, support and work with us, uh, which is very important for them. So this clerkships also help them to get more hands-on ex- surgical experience, but also, okay, why we did a vaccine at this age and not at that age, because it's a shelter medicine, they might not be able to do a rabies vaccine never again. So it's better to get it at um, 12 weeks instead of 16. So it's very important for them to see what's happening because um, it's good that it, people are adopting more than before. So you'll probably see and treat animals that were adopted or came from a uh, shelter. You said something earlier. I want to circle back to a little bit. So as as veterinarians have been more open to discussing with pet owners health benefits of delaying spaying and neutering, do you feel like you're seeing uh, a, an increase in litters associated with those types of behaviors? Do you think that, because I've always wondered that, there's always a trade-off. There's always, you know, there's always a trade-off of uh, if we if we do it earlier, we're, we're learning there's health, health, uh, health impacts to that. But if we do it later, we're also risking, you know, risking having unwanted litters, things like that. Have you seen any uh, any sort of research to, to back up that correlation or, or anecdotally, do you feel that impact? Yes. So there are many, many research that show uh, some cancers, the cancer associated with early spay neuter, uh, but the numbers are not, uh, and also some, some orthopedics. Uh, in large breed dogs, but the numbers are not as reliable. So the big numbers that we see is that the animals are spayed or neutered, they will live longer. So I still, if I still think it's more beneficial for the animals to be spayed earlier uh, than later, if you are not interested in having puppies or kittens. So Another important thing is for one of the most disease that we see in animals that were, are not spayed are mammary tumors. In Brazil, mm-hmm. since I'm from Brazil, we, we don't have the same culture of sterilizing animals earlier in life. And 80% of my patients were mammary tumors. Oh, wow. So then you have to, because they wait for a year and then they will spay one or two um, uh, hits and then they will spay it. And we see so many mammary tumors. And sometimes they don't progress badly, but sometimes they do. So if you do it earlier, you won't have this problem. So um, uh, also other hormone-related uh, disease, these are the most important, that the pyometras and uh, other stuff that you can actually save their lives or make them healthier. And if you think the percentage of cancer that will show up in an animal that wasn't or that was spayed is not as relevant as if you compare with um, hormone-related disease. So yeah. overall, 
of course, you have to think about each breed and each animal and how the owner, uh, like the owner is, if it's a very, a person that will follow up with the animal and then will bring later on, like one year or two years for spay or neuter, you have education. So it's very important. You have to educate your, your clients. And I think education is the, the, the gold standard. You cannot just do a spay neuter program and don't do not educate the, whoever is adopting or owners or community. When we circle back around to to talking about the COVID pandemic and the and the pause and sterilizations and things like that, do you think pet owners have any idea? Are you see are you seeing initiatives, pet owner, pet owner facing initiatives or messaging uh, to help raise awareness of the fact that this is going on? I don't believe pet owners still have, but I know animal welfare is trying to to show the public and everybody that we are in the backlog with surgeries and with the overcrowding shelters and so many puppies and kittens getting into the shelter. Um, we, they are trying to advertise <laughs> that we need to have more conscious and work well into that gap that we had. What would you like to see veterinarians do? So as we talk about action steps, I always like to leave in, in a, on a positive note and sort of say, you know, what are, what are the steps that veterinarians can take that would be beneficial? I think educating their uh, owners to to sterilize their animals earlier and more often so it can work. And if they if you don't have the money for the surgery, you can also refer to a low cost clinic um, just they can get it done. So I think the main issue is the low con- the 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 low income uh, customers that they are not sometimes especially with all this COVID sometimes they do cannot afford surgery so try to work with uh, educating them the importance and to get it done so I think yeah. that will be a way to go. No, I appreciate it. I, I, I think that's good insight. Is there, um, are there any resources that you really like? If someone's listening and they think, I'd really like to learn more about this, uh, I'm, I linked to your original article and the, and the publication mm-hmm. that you put out, uh, in the show notes. So people should definitely check that out. But just, do you have general favorite recommendations? If someone said, I'm interested in shelter medicine, I'm interested in population control, where, where would you get people started? Uh, you're talking about veterinarians or sure. Well, actually, if you uh, if either one, <laughs> but mostly veterinarians is what I is what I look for. Uh, I would recommend for them to look for their local uh, shelter. And our community have many shelters that do not have a veterinarian on board. So sometimes they do have the facility and everything, but they do not have a veterinarian. So try to work with them as a relief veterinarian, or maybe you can start volunteering. I know volunteer after you graduate sometimes not the best. No, it's good. It can, <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like people get stuck in a rut, and a lot of people are interested in doing different things in what they do. I, I think it, I I love it. I'm a huge fan of, of volunteering in different areas in medicine. Use your skills differently. Shake things up. Try things different from what you do. I think it's good for your soul. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. So I would recommend for you to reach out to local shelters and see how they are at this point and and go from there. Of course, University of Florida is always open to any questions and just uh, we have a great 
shelter medicine team. You have an amazing shelter medicine team. <laughs> I'm sorry. Julie Levy's there and uh um Dr. Oh, Crawford. Uh, yeah, Cindy Crawford is, is so yes. so great. She uh <laughs> I'll never forget that when I applied to vet school, I uh Cindy Crawford uh was uh, one of the person who interviewed me and she was so nice and reassuring. I've just been a fan of hers for the rest of my life since then. I've been a fan of hers, but you have such a wonderful group. Yeah, they are amazing. And we have, um, now that we have three clerkships, so we have the Alachua County Animal Services, they do when I'm working now here in Gainesville. Then we have Miami-Dade Animal Services. If you have the opportunity to go visit that shelter, it's one of the best shelters in the U.S. It's amazing. And VCOP, the, the Veterinary Outreach Program, probably was there when you started studying in Florida. I don't know if you had the, the, the opportunity to enroll to that clerkship. I did not. I did not. It was not there. <laughs> I, I think it came in shortly after I left. Okay. Uh, so we have this three, this three like hands-on clerkships so the students can really get hands-on and they learn everything since, uh, primary basic, uh, vaccines and, and everything. They visit shelters and also they do spay-neuter surgeries, more like a, a shelter veterinarian, like a high volume. So not like surgery at UF that you do a laparotomy like uh, exploratory laparotomy incision yeah. size. So they learn how to do it efficiently and, and accurately, like safe other procedures like amputations, inoculations, everything that in a daily base in a shelter needs to help more pets to get adopted. So they will have all this experience. And then they also have the online shelter uh, certification that they can, can go. It, which can also be done by professionals. So if you're a veterinarian and you want to start shelter medicine, you can do the online certification, which is good. I, uh, when I started here in the U.S., I, I, I was a soft tissue surgeon and I had not, I didn't have as many opportunities to do shelter medicine in Brazil because we do not have, now we do, but five years ago, we didn't have really real shelters. So I went through the certification and you can learn a lot from, from the classes and everything. It's, it's very good. So I recommend. Well, I will put links in the show notes for that so people can check it out. I will link to the UF uh, shelter program just because it's a great program and everybody should see it uh, and be aware of it. Simone, thank you so much for being here. Guys, thanks for tuning in and listening. I hope this was interesting and helpful. Uh, gang, take care of yourselves. Thank you. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Thanks to Simone for being here. Gang, if you enjoyed the podcast, if you got something out of it, leave me an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcasts is, is a big place that a lot of people find it. Same thing uh, on Spotify, things like that. But anything uh, that you can do to spread the word is uh, super duper appreciated. It's how people find us. And uh, and I just love being able to share stuff like this with the, with the world and just get the word out and just get people thinking. It just means a lot to me. Anyway, gang, take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll talk to you soon.